I um, sometimes have a title and sometimes do not have a title for sermons. I have to make one up. Uh, Pam, you'll be excited. I've already texted you the title of it for the website. And, uh, the title of this is Familiarity Breeds Contempt. You all know that phrase? I mean, I think everybody knows it. And, uh, you know, there is some truth in that, or you have to be careful with it. You know, on the home front, uh, between spouses, sometimes one spouse towards the other feels like things have gotten just too ordinary, familiar. You know, familiarity breeds contempt. You don't appreciate me anymore. I haven't heard you say I love you in weeks. And you say, well, honey, you know I love you. Why do I need to say it every day? And And you do need to say it every day. And you know, familiarity breeds contempt, because we used to say it all the time. And uh, to be perfectly honest also, I, I was, uh, as I decided on the title and decided on this theme, I also realized it was going to be said a whole lot of times in this sermon. So I began to just, I hadn't said it out loud yet. And so I said it out loud this morning, and um, I couldn't say it. I said, how do you say familiarity? It, that's, a hard, that's hard to say, isn't it? And so then I was, is it familiarity? Or is it familiarity? And um, I didn't have my, my excellent grammar professional who lives with me, my wife. She was still asleep, so I couldn't ask her. And so I was sitting there a bit desperate. I've actually gotten some help from an earlier service. I, so I think I've got it right now. Familiarity. Does that sound right? Familiarity. Got it? Lori's kind of testing it, too. You have to say it. I mean, it's a hard word to say, isn't it? Hope is kind of hard, right? It's not the easiest word in the world to say. And I've got to say it about 25 times this morning, so I'm going to try. Familiarity breeds contempt. Okay. Because what we're dealing with is a story of Jesus returning to his hometown. I wish we could dwell on that David story. It is so marvelous, and we can't do both. And maybe, maybe Tyler and John will tackle some of that next week. But that's really a teaching series on King David, the, that glorious king, and here he is getting established. But we're going to focus on this gospel story this morning. The people in Jesus' hometown, too familiar with this person, Jesus. His hometown is Nazareth. That's where he is brought up. And uh, he returns to teach and to heal and to cast out demons. And Scripture says something that is quite haunting and amazing Because this is Jesus. We know Jesus. We know who he is. And these people say they took, and the scripture says, they took offense at him. Who is this? This this is that little boy that was the carpenter's son, Joseph, and worked in the carpenter's shop, became a carpenter himself. What's going on here? They take offense at him. They do not know the parts of the story that we know and know well. The story that says that Jesus went to the Jordan River, hearing of a massive conversion event going on around his cousin John, and that Jesus himself submitted to a baptism of repentance. And even then, John saying, no, 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 Jesus, you really should baptize me. John having some awareness of who Jesus is and who he's going to be, and that God has something more intended for his life than simply being a carpenter. And Jesus says, no, no. I want to be baptized by you. But in the baptism event experience at the Jordan River, the scripture also tells us that something happened. The Spirit fell on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and remained on him. And he goes into the wilderness for a long, long time. Forty days can be read literally, but 40 days also means in scripture 
from the Genesis to Revelation, it means a long time. He's there in the wilderness a long time, wrestling with his vocation and his new call, no doubt, and trying to understand the full implications of what it means that God has called him to. And then he returns, the Bible tells us, he returns, though, in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit that has remained on him since his baptism and has taken him into the wilderness where he wrestles with Satan himself, and he comes in the power of the Spirit, and he says, the kingdom of God is here. It has arrived. And begins to preach and teach and heal. And he does so with success. The people are amazed at the quality and richness of his teaching. And they're brought closer to God, no doubt. And they're amazed at his power to heal and change lives. And they are amazed that he actually is delivering people from demonic oppression until he gets to his hometown of Nazareth. And there, familiarity breeds contempt. And the story tells us today, they took offense at him. Who do you think you are? You're just the carpenter's son. What are you talking about? Sins are forgiven, we've heard you say elsewhere. You're a healer? Doubt it. And so the story tells us he, he couldn't do much there. Uh, that somehow in the mystery of faith that there's a cooperative effort that goes on is that we bring something to the table and Jesus meets us no doubt more than halfway and when that's enabled, amazing things happen but not in Nazareth. Only a little bit happened there and he moved on. He moved on from there to continue his teaching ministry, his healing ministry and enabling others and empowering others as they were taught from him then to go and do the same. He sends out the 12. Well, um, this issue of familiarity with Jesus, um, I know how the people of Nazareth were because I've been there myself. I had the over-familiarity of being raised in a Christian family. Now, I know that's supposed to be a good thing. I'm the seventh of eight children, and my father was an Episcopal pastor. And yes, we were marched off to church, the eight of us, every Sunday, week in and week out. Attended church from the, before I can remember. Had to go. And when I came of age, was part of EYC, what was then Episcopal Young Churchmen. Had to go every Sunday night. And an acolyte forevermore once I was confirmed. Crucifer, torchbearer, flag bearer. We carried our flags in procession. Server at the altar. Did it all. And of course, I'm the PK, the preacher's kid. And some of you all know this deal too if you're part of St. Paul's staff perhaps. But when the other acolyte doesn't show up, you're the one that gets pulled out from the congregation three minutes before the service and told to go vest. I did that one over and over again too. And familiarity breeds contempt. And Jesus was someone who I didn't have a huge view of. In fact, he was more the Christ. Kind of a distant figure along with God the Father in heaven. And then I hit my 20s. And I hit some big problems. As I've told you before, the very grievous loss of my father when I was 18 years old broke my heart at the time. Someone whom I loved dearly, and my father died suddenly. 
And then the loss of a significant girlfriend. Of course, those things have a way of working their way out, and here I end up with this significant girlfriend instead. But at the time, the loss of a significant girlfriend. And failing in my new life, my early life as an IBM marketeer, uh, thrown into a whole new world of technology and salesmanship that I really was totally uh, like a uh, fish out of water, and put all that together and in my 20s feeling pretty desperate. And what I learned was in that desperation, the familiar Jesus of my childhood and youth was not enough for the size of my problems. He was not big enough, made reference to that a week ago, talking about is your God big enough, but he was not big enough, nor was the Lord Jesus close enough, nor was he real enough, could he really make a difference, real enough to help me. He could do no great miracles in my life. Sounds like the people of Nazareth. As I said, I'm very well acquainted with them, understanding that familiarity can breed contempt. And so it was only in desperation with all these you know, failed relationship, failed business career, feeling that way, the loss and no replacement after my father's death, in the midst of all that, uh, desperate, I searched, I looked for something more. And in that search and in that learning, I discovered Jesus did not need to change one bit, not one iota, but I needed to change a lot. And in my changing, I learned that Jesus was big enough as I discovered the true Jesus, someone much bigger than my childhood imagination had considered. Thanks be to God. This, the Christ, as I knew him, I was introduced to through that very uh, familiar Protestant idea, which I rejected as an Episcopalian. Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him personally as your Lord and Savior? That was not a question we asked as Episcopalians. In fact, we kind of made fun of others who asked that question as it being a bit tacky until I was in my 20s, and I encountered that question again, and my answer moved from, no, I don't, really. I know the Christ, but do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? No, not really, not truthfully, but I discovered that. I could change that, and I could begin to say, well, yes, I do. Jesus saved me in my 20s. And I ask him to forgive me for making him too small in my life. And I asked him to take over my life because I wasn't doing very well myself anyway. And I learned in doing that, Jesus is truly big enough, close enough, and real enough for all of life's challenges. I want to end this sermon in a similar fashion of a week ago and uh, because part of this, the other discovery in my 20s was the power and truth of Scripture. 
Oh, it was a book I was familiar with also growing up in the church. But I was also overly familiar with it. I know this story today really well. I expect, suspect you know this story well too. We've heard it so many times. And familiarity can breed contempt. Um, missing perhaps the true depth of this story. So let's rely on scripture as well to just lead us further up and further in. Is Jesus big enough? He says, for example, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now that's a big Jesus. That's the Jesus who says, I'm bigger than death. We had a young man die this past week on July 4th, die unexpectedly. Don't know what he died of. He was found dead in his apartment, Tommy Dion. He grew up in this parish. He gave his life early to the Lord. I know that. Active and immersed in the life of this community. Thanks be to God. Thank goodness Jesus can say to Tommy and say to his family, I go and prepare a place for you, Tommy. I'll come back. I'll take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Thanks be to God. An untimely death, but a big enough Jesus to handle an untimely death. He says more. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You trust in me. You live, Tommy, Mike, you. This is a big Jesus. He can handle death, disease that leads to death, catastrophic accidents that lead to death. Trust in me, you'll live, even though you die. This Jesus is a big Jesus. We know that familiar teaching of Jesus, I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, honestly, how many shepherds... Well, first of all, you may not know any shepherds. I, I truthfully don't know any shepherds. But pretending for a moment, if you knew a shepherd, if you knew a lot of shepherds, do you think that there are many shepherds who would give their life for a dumb sheep? I don't think there are. I mean, I really I doubt that. I think that's probably highly unlikely. They're going to say, oh, shame, we lost three sheep today, but... They fell over the cliff. I couldn't, I wasn't going to go rescue them. I, I know there's a story of the law, you know, the lost sheep, but this is, but Jesus said, I'm not, I'm the good shepherd. He said, well, what's a good shepherd like? He said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is a big Jesus. Because what he's saying is that cross that I offered myself on, that was for you too. That cross that pays the penalty of sins, that eliminates the barrier between us and our Father. All that for you. And so indeed, this big enough Jesus can say, listen folks, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm a big Jesus. Remember also, the Christ didn't feel particularly close to me most of the time. But to discover that the Lord Jesus really, really wants to be close to us. And so he will say things like this. You are my friends. 
That sounds pretty close. If you do what I command, saying, when you love and as you love your father and love others, says, that's what friends will do for one another. You are my friend. He said, I'm not going to call you servants any longer. A servant doesn't know his master's business. In other words, he's laid out by this time near the end of his life story, his plans for the whole world and how we will be involved in that redemption, impacting the world, if you will, in Jesus' name, even to this present day. And so he says, uh, you're not servants anymore. I have called you friends. He wants to be close. Friends don't know each other in a formal way as the Christ. What he's saying is, I want to know you on a first name basis. I want you to know me on a first name basis. Just call me Jesus. Close enough, even closer. As he speaks of this mysterious gift of the Spirit, I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor to be with you for all of your life forever. Calls him here the Spirit of Truth. He says, interesting, the world will not accept this, um, this part of me, this part of my truth. The world won't accept me, won't accept him, the spirit. It uh, will not see him, and it will certainly not know him. But, see, you know him, for he lives with you, my spirit, and he will be in you. So somehow, this wonderful transaction that we read about towards the end of the Gospels and into the book of Acts and read hopefully into our own lives is that Christ himself comes to dwell within us and his spirit falls on us and his spirit gives to us something of Jesus himself for our lives to enrich and enable and empower and transform our lives. And so he says, you know, you can know me from the inside out because I put myself within you and you can know me from the outside in because I am with you always. Close enough, this is a close Jesus. And even in our small group life, based on a scripture, a Bible principle, Jesus said, you know, when two or three gather together in my name, I'm going to be there in the midst of them. I've borrowed the phrase repeatedly from a mentor, John Stone Jenkins, a wonderful teacher of the church. He it was whom I first heard say, He is the unseen, though present Lord. Love that idea. Uh, Jesus says, you you may not see me with your eyes. And then Paul talks about it. And Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be open to see things like this. And so in a sense, we do see the presence of the Lord where two or three gather together. But not with these eyes, but with this eye. But what he promises is, whenever two or three gather together in my name, I am there also. He's the unseen but present Lord. And he will enrich that small group experience because of that. Big enough and close enough. And is he real enough? He really is real enough. And he was, and his words became more and more real to me in my 20s and then into my 30s and 40s and 50s. Words like these. Um, here on our wall as well near the bottom, Matthew 28, you know, surely I am with you always. He's really real. He's, I am with you always. We embrace him by faith. As he speaks of his role as a good shepherd, he not only says he lays down his life as a good shepherd, he says, 
I know my sheep. He said, I know you. He knows your hearts. He knows what needs correction and amending. He knows what to celebrate in your life. And he said, and, and my sheep know me. We know what God's desire in and through Jesus is for our lives. He's real for real circumstances. He said one day, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, because I can give you rest. I was so wearied and burdened in my 20s with those things I told you about earlier. And he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, Mike. I'm gentle, humble in heart. You will find rest for your soul, brother. And I did, and I have, because he's a real enough Jesus. And just to return from a week ago to that gospel story of that little precious girl, J. Iris's daughter, 12 years old, dying and then dead. Her heart had stopped beating before Jesus got there. And the faith of Jairus, but that, that real Jesus who comes into the bedroom, who takes up the little girl's hand, and Bible has preserved the Aramaic spoken by Jesus. That would have been the language of his day. The Greek is the written language of his day. But the words would have been, all the words of the Gospels would have been in Aramaic. And uh, they've been translated into the reading literature of that day, into the Greek uh, but there uh, is one of the places where the words are preserved probably because they're so memorable. What did he say to that little girl before she woke up from the dead? Talitha kum. And Bible tells us, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. He's a real savior, healer, deliverer. He's the real thing. So, brothers and sisters, beware of the familiarity that breeds contempt. Beware of the familiarity for your own spiritual life, your relationship with the Lord, that it not breed contempt. There are times in our lives when we have made our God too small, and it's time for a significant enlargement. Yes, catastrophe and, and difficult circumstances can lead us there in desperation but wisdom can lead us there in desperation as well wisdom to search out the lord to seek more of him for our lives and so we do so at a canuga renewal week or a men's conference or even a men's breakfast or a women's retreat or just regular sunday worship or life in a small group or life listening to a wonderful teacher in a small group like a Beth Moore or something like that, but all these ways and means that we can put aside the familiarity that breeds contempt to discover that the Lord Jesus is big enough, he is real enough, and he's close enough for anything that life throws at you. Thanks be to God.